0: Thank you, Mr. Janae. You made that thing talk. That was beautiful. If you got your Bible tonight, I hope you do, please turn to John chapter 4 with me tonight. The Gospel of John chapter 4. Thank you for praying for our needs in children's ministry. If you're interested or know somebody maybe uh, for your information, um, those those opportunities are every other week. They're not uh, every week. They're every other week where we need teachers, but um, they're in our... uh, third and fourth grade classes. We're very excited about what God's doing in our department. Just absolutely awesome to see Him work. And it sure is a lot of fun, if you're interested. I'm telling you, it's a lot of fun, ain't it, Miss Donna? That's us. We, just, we just have fun and watch God work. Um, if you're able tonight, would you stand with me as we read John chapter 4? All right, pin your ears back. We're going to jump into it. John chapter 4 you got your place in verse 1. We're going to read a good bit here. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sigar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, and that amazing, Jesus being fully man, is fully God, he was tired from his journey. He sat thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour, the sixth hour of the day, is about lunchtime. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Now, that's interesting. Verse 9, the woman of Samaria asked him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband, and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, "'You have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband, in that you spoke truly.' The woman said to him, "'Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship.' Jesus said to her, "'Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And then skip down to verse 28. The woman left her water pot and her and went her way into the city and said to the men, Come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Father, would you honor your word tonight? Do a great work for your honor, we ask. In Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. So I'm enjoying our time on Sunday night and where we've been covering uh, different topics in today's uh, issues, worldview and different topics in our culture. That's what we've been doing on Sunday night and and I'm tackling purpose tonight. I'm tackling purpose and I believe that if there's any purpose we need to look at, it's God's purpose. I was thinking about John chapter 4. I was reminded of Pete. I heard a story about Pete. Pete was hired by the DOT before uh, the modern machine was out today that could paint stripes on the road. and He was hired to paint the yellow stripes. Down the road, And Pete, the first day, Pete the painter, oh, he was tearing it up. The first day, he painted more uh, lines than anybody had ever painted in his first day. He painted five miles of yellow line. They couldn't believe it. They were blown away how far Pete had painted. They were like, that's a record, Pete. Do you know that? He was like, man, I, I thought I was doing pretty good. Well, the next day, he still did better than most. He painted uh, 2.5 miles, two and a half miles of paint uh, of, of road that he painted that yellow line. Well, the next day he only paid a little bit over a mile. And they're getting to thinking he's just doing the average day now. He's doing about what everybody else is doing. He must have slowed down a little bit. Well, the next day he only did half a mile. Getting a little suspicious now. What's going on with Pete, the new hire? It may not be going too well. The next day only a quarter mile. So the, super, uh, the supervisor's getting a little concerned. Pete, he says, Pete, what's going on? Why are you, you did you started so well, but what's going on? He said, well, I, I figured you'd understand, boss. I mean, uh, I just keep getting further and further away from the paint can. The further you go, the further you have to come back to get the, the paint can. Uh, as I thought about that story, and I thought about God's purpose in, in John chapter 4, uh, you're not going to hear nothing new tonight. Uh, But it's the basics, and Pastor Shane says so often to us as staff. It's we need to think about doing the usual things, the basic things, uh, the usual things unusually well. We don't need to get past the basics. We need to learn the basics and and how to keep to them and do them well. And I believe we see that here in this passage. So the first thing I want to think about, and I just want to get a sentence for you tonight, okay? I want to form a sentence, and we're going to build on it as we go through this passage. And the first part of this sentence or statement that I hope that you'll uh, have ingrained in your heart, is that God has a seeking purpose. God's seeking purpose. Now, as I began to study this text in John chapter 4, I asked myself, why did Jesus leave Judea? You'd ask yourself that, and it says, and this is kind of interesting how the text answers the question, verse 1, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, verse 3, he left Judea and departed to Galilee. And he says he needed to go to Samaria. So my question was, why did he leave Judea, which is south, and and have to go north to Galilee? It says he's concerned that the Pharisees had heard that he was uh, baptizing more people or as many people as John and making disciples. Was he scared of the Pharisees? That's the first question I ask myself. Was he concerned about uh, what the Pharisees thought of him? And then if you go to chapter 3 and verse 35 right above it says, the Father loves the Son He's has given all things into his hand. So I don't think he was scared of the Pharisees, but was it that he had to get to Galilee to uh, tell more people about his message, the gospel of the kingdom? Was it because he Needed to go meet this woman at Samaria, this divine appointment he had? Um, was it that he didn't want to compete with John? You know, John the Baptist was an amazing guy. I mean, what a character. I mean, was it, you know, he had he looked at the Pharisees, looked them straight in the eye, and he had, he had let them, I mean, he gave it the gospel right to them. He didn't hold nothing back from them. You brought of vipers, you know, he gave it to them. Was it that he didn't want to conflict with what John was doing? And I think the answer to these questions is yes. I think Jesus is doing all these things. And, and here's my point. God has a seeking purpose. And when I answer the question in the text, why did he leave uh, Judea to go to Galilee? It wasn't for one reason, or two, or three, or four. It was for thousands of reasons. God is doing things in your life, and in my life, and in the Bible times. And since time began, he does things, and when he moves with his unseen hand in our life, it is not just for one It's for thousands of reasons. We may see one; he may show us one reason or two reasons, and uh, but we will never see the full picture because we'll never be God. But He has got a thousand things going on, and they're all working together for His goal. And what is His goal? Well, He tells us in Matthew uh, eighteen verse eleven, His goal is to seek and to save the lost. He has in verse twenty three this passage. It says, "The Father is seeking." True worshipers. He is seeking. God has a seeking purpose. He is about to seek and to save the lost. And we know that as he meets us, He illustrates that in this uh, for the woman and the well. You see, that's the difference between all other religions and our religion that we get to celebrate tonight in our Savior. It is isn't all other religions are at the bottom of the pyramid trying to be good enough, do good enough works, try to uh, do things to make God love them, be acceptable and righteous in God's sight. But that's not the Christian faith. Our faith is that God came down seeking us, and that, and that's what we see here. Um, uh, Francis Thompson, uh, which was a British poet, in his uh, poem "The Hound of Heaven," he wrote, "Those strong feet that followed were of unhurrying chase and unperturbed." pace. I don't know about your salvation experience, but I can remember months, if not years, of God just pounding on my heart and in my mind and in my soul. He was chasing me, coming after me. The Bible says how he draws, uh, the Holy Spirit draws people to himself. I can remember that time where God just was I could not go even hours without thinking about God or Jesus or the Bible. What was happening, man? It wasn't that he was knocking, he was pounding on my heart trying to draw me to himself. I mean, he has a seeking power and that's what he is about you know I don't know about you I'm not much of a news watcher I kind of would rather just read uh, some of what's going on I can only watch Fox News so long before I start getting depressed I can really only watch CNN about five minutes before I get depressed I mean I just cannot take a lot of the news cuz why it's all this doom and gloom Oh, the world's coming to an end. I mean just all this doom and gloom you know the world's going to help my friend the world is coming to Jesus you say, "What do you mean by that?" I'm telling you, He is seeking uh, to save those who are those who are lost. I think about Matthew chapter twenty-four, verse fourteen. It says, "This gospel for the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to the nations." Then the end will come. I was thinking about the song we were singing. Uh, he is the hope of the nations, and it's amazing. You know, in that verse of Matthew twenty-four, fourteen. Uh, The Bible says when the gospel goes around the whole world, uh, then he will come back. You think about the time we live, it's fascinating. If you were to track the centrality of of Christianity, you start out in Jerusalem, right? And then hundreds of years later, it was in Byzantine Empire and the Roman Empire. It was the religion of the Roman Empire. And, and then you you keep going in history. It goes up to Central Europe. The Reformation, Christianity spreads. And then you come uh, just a couple centuries ago to America, was the central hub of Christianity. You got the First Awakening, the Second Awakening, and no doubt right now America is a post-Christian nation. I mean, and, and stati- uh, statisticians, people who keep up with this thing, are telling us the church in America is losing 1,500 members. A day, fifteen hundred members a day. And uh, however, I'm telling you, but the church is not losing. I'm telling you, the church of Jesus said, "I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not stand." In Africa. 5,000 people are being saved a day. We're losing 1,500, but 5,000 in Africa are getting saved a day. And, and then the central of the gospel, just went, it went to that window that missionaries would talk about there in Africa. And it went from there, uh, and, and now it's moved to China and Asia, where Christianity is just flourishing, where it's being suppressed, but it continues to grow, leaps and bounds. And it's amazing. There's a big movement right now, missionaries calling uh, Back to Jerusalem. And what they're wanting to do, these missionaries in Asia are trying to come together, and form teams to bring the gospel back to Jerusalem, back to the Holy Land. Gee, what did Jesus say? When the gospels went through the whole world, it's an amazing time that we live in. And I'm just firm standing and believing that we are on the winning side. Amen. And I'm thankful that God has a seeking purpose. And he says when his word goes out, it will not return void. He has a purpose and he's working it. Hey, here, can I show you something cool in the text? As you're reading through these, just these four, I know there's so much to dive into. And we're going through, but I want to show you this. In verse 2, where it said, right in the middle, right, uh, verse 2, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples. Why did John put that in there? What does that have to do with anything? You know, that he left Judea, he's going to Galilee, he had to go meet this Samaritan woman. Oh, by the way, he didn't baptize his disciples. Why did he do that? Well, go to John chapter 1. I want to show you something. This is neat. John, it's one of the greatest literary works. It's said that John has written uh, uh, on about a, a seminary level as far as theology. But it's so amazing that a young child can understand it. It's so simple, but yet so amazing. And if you read John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, you know how amazing that is. I'll just read verse 5. It's some of the deepest and amazing theology in verses 1 through 5. And then get to, uh, I'll read verse 5. And light shines in the darkness, and darkness does not comprehend it. You get all this great the- And then verse 6. And I wonder, why does John throw this in there? There was a man sent from God whose name was John. I mean, how simple is that? There was a man, all this great theology. In the beginning was God. God was, in the beginning was the Word. Word was with God. The Word was God. All this deep, amazing things uh, about the Trinity. And then, oh, there was a man sent from God. His name was John. Why do he throw that in there? Here's it. Here it is. Because God has a seeking mission. And here's the great thing, church. We get to be a part of it. Not only are we are part of it, we're plan A. I mean, and there is no plan B. I mean, we are God's, and we are a great commissioned church, and I'm thankful for that, to go make disciples, baptizing. And, and as soon as it gets done, you get to verse uh, 8 and 9, and it just keeps going, all this deep stuff. But John's right in the middle of it. If you go back to John chapter 4, right in the middle of it, Jesus didn't baptize, but his disciples did. I mean, we get to be right, we get to be a part. And as you're going to see, God is teaching his disciples something in this text. So God has a seeking purpose, and we're a part of it. The second thing, as we continue our statement, God has a seeking purpose for all people. Look in verse 5. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sagar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being weary from his journey, sat on or sat by the well. It was the sixth hour. Verse 7, a woman of Samaria came drawing water. Jesus said, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city <clears throat> to buy food. <clears throat> Excuse me. In verse 9, the woman of Samaria asked him, How is it that you being a Jew ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? Here it is. For the Jews have no dealings with Samaria. Okay, so Jesus left Judea. You, you, I know you guys all know this. To go to Galilee. And the quickest route was to go through Samaria. But the Jews would not go through Samaria. Uh, they would pray, God, they would sometimes wake up families would pray, help us not to see a Samaritan today. Uh, we, we could get into the history, and you can look that up. It's in every commentary, or just Google it. I mean, it, it, it is, it's all there for fact. I mean, but it's easy to say they despised the Samaritan. They called them half-breeds. They didn't want nothing to do with them. Uh, and one, you imagine what Jesus is doing here, okay? If you just think about this with me. Jesus goes to Samaria. He goes through Samaria, and it's interesting. He tells his disciples to go buy food from the Samaritans. The Jews would not even eat of the same plate that a Samaritan had eaten of. They would ask, uh, has that plate been uh, Samaritan? Have they used that plate? If they have, even if it's been washed and put in the dishwasher, uh, dishwasher four times, they don't want to do it. They don't want nothing to do with it. So he goes into Samaria, and here's a woman. It's at the sixth hour. Why is it at the 6 hour? You know this, because all the other women weren't there because they had to come in the morning. Why didn't she come with them? Well, the, the testimony of is we see later in the text, is because she's been married five times. And she's despised, she's ostracized, she's an outcast. And so Jesus not only comes up and talks to a Samaritan, but a woman Samaritan. Uh, women, uh, men in that day did not speak to women in public. I mean, that was just the custom of the time. So Jesus, won. all right, he goes to talk to a Samaritan, a Samaritan woman, not only a Samaritan woman, a Samaritan immoral woman. It, the way I could figure, it, it had kind of been like the '60s and the '70s when uh, when they had colored water fountain and white water fountain. It would have, and, and here's the thing: Jesus didn't say. Uh, give me a drink of water. He said, give me a drink of water from your bucket because he didn't have a bucket. He was saying, let me drink from your bucket, okay? So he's crossing. If any Jew would have seen him, they'd have been like, Jesus, you're now cursed because of what you're doing. So it would have been like in the 60s or 70s, it would have been like a white man going up to a black woman, a colored woman at the water fountain and saying, ma'am, can I, can I have a drink from your cup that you used at the water fountain? I mean, that is the strain of the situation here. Here's the deal, though. (laughs) Jesus doesn't care. He is doing this intentionally. He is breaking all barriers because God's seeking purpose is for, listen to this, all people. And I want to say this tonight with as much love and truth as I can. If you have just one ounce or one bit of racism in yourself, you need to come and ask God to forgive you and to change your heart. Yellow, black, and white, they are all precious in his sight. God's seeking purpose is for all people. Now maybe it's not just a race thing. In in our day maybe it's a uh, people who struggle with different things than we struggle with. I don't know. If you can maybe imagine somebody that you would never want to share the gospel with. You would never have a conversation. Maybe who is that person or those people? Friend Democrats. I don't know who that. But you look, just have, just think about it. Well, God's seeking purpose is for all people. Okay? It's for all people no matter the differences. Uh, I love what Paul said in Romans chapter 1 when he thought he, was, uh, he owed the barbarians and the Gentiles. He, he felt like he was indebted. The word he used, he was indebted to them. What does that mean, indebted? He didn't owe them nothing. Yet yeah, He felt like he had the greatest miracle in the world, which is salvation. He had it, and he felt like because he got it freely, he owed it to the world. So it is for God-seeking people, it's for all people. Let's add again to it. This is is just the basics, okay? God-seeking purpose is for all people, get this, to be eternally satisfied. To be eternally satisfied. Let me ask you a question. How many people do you know that are truly satisfied? I mean truly satisfied. I want you to to look at the text. Keep going with me. Verse 10, Jesus uh, answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God... And who is who says to you, give me a drink? You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to her, she don't get it, does she? She don't get it. Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself? Verse 13, Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water I shall give him will never thirst. Why will they never thirst? Get this. The water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting god God's seeking purpose is for all people to be eternally satisfied. Here he uses the illustration of water. Now you think about the most important thing, physical. What's the most important physical things in the world? Well, water would have to be number one. You can go days, I asked kids this morning. You can go weeks without food if you had to, but you can't go many days without water. Jesus is using water as an illustration of his self and the gift of God, the everlasting gift. And he is saying, as much as you and I need water physically, spiritually, we need God. And we need this gift. He is making a parallel here. Um, Real quick, did you know that tomatoes are 95% water? Uh, did you know the elephants are 75% water? I guess they, a the reason they're so big. Um, get this: uh, 70% of the world is covered in water, but only 3% of the world is uh, only 3% of the water in the world is fresh water, and only half of the world today—I looked this up—only half of the world today has access to drinking water. Now, uh, you know, I hope you rolled your windows up in your car. There's some water coming from heaven right now God is helping me illustrate the point right here of water and he is <laughs> a living water and he come hey he come down from heaven uh, there's nothing that satisfies like water uh I don't know what your beverage of choice is Pastor Shane asked you this not too long staff mean what was our favorite beverage well mine is coke zero I mean all right on, on five you got to do this quick tell me your favorite be- beverage five four three two one come on I got them. Come back and ask me what you said, and I'll tell you when you leave today, everyone. Uh, Coke Zero was definitely my beverage of choice, okay? Uh, especially vanilla Coke Zero. That's where I, you know, um, I, I need to exercise more than I do. But when, when I do do something strenuous, I'm just thinking, oh, if I could just have a vanilla Coke Zero. But then you drink that vanilla Coke Zero, and you're like, uh, oh, what I really need is water. And you drink that water. And you think, there's nothing that satisfies like water satisfies. And that's what he's saying here. There's nothing truly satisfying like the gift of God that you have. Uh, Cecil Rhodes was one of the most influential people who helped develop South Africa, the the country of South Africa, economically, politically. Uh, He was famous. Uh, I mean, just an absolute millionaire. He was very a powerful person. And one day, as he was on a train in South Africa, uh, he was sitting in a booth with uh, Bramwell Booth, who was General Booth, who started the Salvation Army. It was his son. And General Booth was in the car uh, right right above uh, Cecil Rhodes and Bramwell. And Bramwell, being the Christian that he was, he looked at Cecil Rhodes, uh, the rich, famous economic politician. He said, Cecil, are you happy and he looked at Brimwell and he said, No, I am absolutely not happy with my life. And Brimwell, being a Christian, he looked at him and he said, The only way that you know you can have true happiness is at the foot of the cross. Because uh, there your sins are, for, the account says that there can your sins be forgiven and you can be freed from your sins. And what Cecil said next was so amazing at the account. Cecil Rhodes looked at Brimwell and he said, I would give everything I had to possess what the man in front of us possesses. I would give everything I own to have and believe what he believes. He said, I would give it all. You see, there's many wells around us, and none of them truly satisfy other than the gift of God. The Westminster Confession says the chief end of man is to enjoy God forever. Augustine he is famous for saying, uh, God, you have made us for ourselves, and our soul cannot find rest until it finds rest. in the Adrian Rogers said many times, friends all around me looking for what the heart yearns for, for sin under mine, I know where it is found. Only true riches in Jesus abound. And, uh, and looking at this, uh, this gift, uh, this water, he throws that word in there, gift. Why does Jesus use that word gift here? I believe it's just the, the basic part of the gospel. As we're getting into basics, I love how he says the gift of God in verse 10. You think about salvation, your salvation and my salvation being a gift. Uh, he didn't say you had to run around the building three times to be saved. There's some people that can't run. He didn't say you had to give money. There's some people who don't have money to give. He didn't say you had to read. There's some people who cannot read. We know to obtain this gift of God, all we have to simply do is believe. Uh, You're saved in Ephesians 2.8 by grace through faith. And this is a gift of God, not of works. Uh, And you know, if anybody is of disadvantage in the gospel, it's those who have talent, it's those who have resources. It's those who uh, do have somewhat of uh, uh, material possessions. We see that throughout through the Bible. And why is that? It's because it's a gift. You see, the gospel is not so lofty that few people ascend to it. It's that really that it's so low that few people can humble themselves to it. Uh, the gospel is is gloriously simple, and it's simply glorious. It is. It, it is a gift, and if anybody can disqualify themselves, and the only way one can disqualify themselves from the gift is pride, and because it is a gift, so it, it is to be eternally. So God's seeking purpose is for everyone to be eternally satisfied. Look at that down in verse 14. He will never thirst. The water I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water. Springing up into everlasting life. Uh, Michael Forbes from Forbes magazine, uh, he was a, no doubt a billionaire. And uh, Forbes, his key phrase, he coined it he who dies with the most toys wins. Uh, it was said that Michael never drove the same car twice. Uh, he had more motorcycles, he collected motorcycles. You know, he paid a million dollars for an egg. A, I mean, crazy. Uh, Michael Forbes had more money than since, than I'm guessing, if you paid that much money for an egg. Uh, but he wanted to go see in London. He wanted to go see uh, King Tut, the museum. He wanted to go and check that out. So he went to see that with his one of his top advisors. As he's seeing King Tut and all the gold and every, all that exhibit, everything they found, he looked at his advisor and he said this in deep thought, Do you think they will remember me when I'm gone? Do you think they'll remember me when I'm gone? You see, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes, God has put eternity in the heart of every man. I mean, all of us wonder about eternity and what's going to happen there and what's going to happen when we die and what's going to last. And the saying was never true in uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, where Paul said, For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. A life that will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ Will last. So here we have, so far, God's purpose is for, God's seeking purpose is for all people to be eternally satisfied. All right, how is that? That's the next part. You ready? If you will, look in verse 15 with me. The next part is that God's seeking purpose is for all people to be eternally satisfied through worshiping Him in spirit and truth. Verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water. That I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. As I as I looked at this text, I I kind of think at this point she's kind of being a little sarcastic. I don't know if you ever read the Bible with like music in the background. I mean, like in your head. Uh, In this music, I kind of feel like she's got a little sarcastic tone. Well, uh, why don't you just give me this water, guy that I just made at the well, this Jew? Why don't you just give me this water so I don't have to come here anymore? Look at verse sixteen. I think I think the conversation flips tone here at verse sixteen. Jesus said to her, go call your husband to come here. I think he he heard her, and I didn't recognize this until I slowed down studying the text, the word here. She said, why don't you give me this water so I don't have to come here to this well? And I think Jesus hears that and he thinks about that word here and he says, by the way, why don't you go call your husband and tell him to come here, to come here? And I think the tone changed in verse 17. The woman said, I have no husband. And, and at first time going through this text, I kind of think she was still uh, being sarcastic, maybe still joshing with him, still going at him. Uh, but I think she changes her tone here. I think she may have tried to be deceptive here and try to make Jesus believe that she was widowed. Because the only reason for a woman in this time to not have a husband was uh, for her to be widowed. I mean, if she didn't have a husband, I mean, she would have had no way to make an income. She would have not have been protected. And the only reason not to have a husband was to have been widowed. And I think here uh, in the text, she was trying to convince Jesus that she was widowed. <laughs> she did not yet know who Jesus was. Look at verse 18. At verse end of 17, Jesus said to her, You have said, Well, I have no husbands. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you know, the one you have now, is not your husband? and that you spoke truly, the woman said to him, "Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Uh, she just comes out of it, sir. I see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Uh, ain't that amazing?" She just flips the whole conversation. I mean, he he's starting to get into her sin, and the first well she talks about here is her husband's, and then she just goes to a whole different well. And in verse twenty, it's worship. She goes. Uh, right to something totally different, trying to maybe deflect what Jesus is talking about. Verse 21, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation of the Jews. And verse 24, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. If God wants people to be satisfied eternally through worshiping him in spirit and truth, what does that mean? Well, when she comes in contact with Jesus, and we've already read it, when she figures out who Jesus is, she says, we, I know a Messiah's coming, man. I, I know He's coming. And Jesus looks and says, I am. The Old Testament name for God, I am. And I think the power of that word hit her like a ton of bricks, because you know and I know there's power in the Word of God. Jesus spoke this world into existence through power. I mean, there is just power in His Word. I mean, you can just go all through the text. I, I, one of the Really fun places of in the Bibles when Jesus they come to arrest Jesus and they're looking for him and, and the whole centurion uh, army or or at least a hundred soldiers are coming to get him and they they look and they say uh, are you are you Jesus of Nazareth and he turns around and says I am he and when he says I am the Bible of John says they all hit the ground. Well, some people commentary says it's called the slope. No, he said I am and the power of those words hit them and they physically hit the ground. There is power in the word of God and when he told her. I am the Messiah. I am He. It changed her life. It totally, and look how she worshipped. Look how she worshipped in verse 28. She left her water pot and went to the city, and at the end of it, she went and told all her people in the city, could this be the Christ? What did you do when you first got saved? What did you want to do? What was the deep desire in your heart? To get on the phone. I remember when I got saved that night, I wanted to call everybody in my family, all my friends, and I wanted to tell them that I got saved. Uh, David, you were talking about your brother, how he wanted to call you in South Dakota and tell you that. He, that is, that to me is. I think Philip would agree with me. Worship is not what we do here when we come and sing. I believe that's an expression of worship, but true worship, true worship is that right there, experiencing God. Being in relationship with Him and sharing Him with others and being obedient to Him. I believe what true worship is, is letting Christ dwell in us and that fountain coming out of us and going through the week worshiping Him by serving and being in relationship with Him. And then when we come here, it's just an overflow of what's happened during the week. I get sometimes tired of hearing people say, uh, that church is just not doing much for me. Oh, i just not getting much out of that worship. It's not, true worship is not what you get out of it, it's what you bring to it. And if you really want church to be exciting, it'll be about what you bring when you come, not what you get out of it. That is true worship, is what this woman was a part of. And that's what Jesus says, you must worship in spirit. You know, he didn't say in song, did he? Now, I think song worship is beautiful. Uh, but I, I believe what he says, you must worship in spirit and in truth. And what does he mean? This woman is dead. This woman inside doesn't get anything Jesus is talking about. What he is saying is inside you have to be alive. And the Holy Spirit and you have to be together. The place of worship is not a mountain. The place of worship is not a geographical place. It is inside where true worship. That's the place of worship. And the, pers- the person of worship is the Father. Uh, a couple times in this text, three or four, you see the Father is seeking. Uh, and You must worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Father, uh, you know I think about God, God the Father. We throw out some big words about God, don't we? He is, uh, He is omnipotent. He is all strong. He is omniscient. He knows everything. He is omnipresence. You know, he's. Somebody said God, He is omnipresent. Presence is like you know the circle uh, is nowhere is everywhere and the circumference is nowhere. I mean I just can't even I can't even get a grip on some of that. I mean he is so big and so amazing and I don't understand. It's got me and Renee uh, Saturday morning we went to Country Cafe and we got some breakfast. I mean you want to you want some breakfast? That's where you go to get breakfast. I'm just telling you if you want to eat like I wanted to eat that's where you go get breakfast. And 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 we're at Country Cafe we're going through the line and uh, there was chocolate milk. Right there um, in the stand, and I, I, you know, in the little freezer. And I was like, Man, what Renee's Lactose Tonic? We don't get a lot of milk products or anything like that. So I was like, I haven't had any chocolate milk in a while, and I want some chocolate milk. And I got it. I ain't gonna tell you what else I got, but it was good. I'm just telling you. Uh, you know, I love chocolate milk, you know, and I got to thinking about chocolate milk. I, I'm not really sure how a black cow can eat green grass, make it into white milk. We turn it into yellow butter or take white milk and put black chocolate in it. Make chocolate. I don't know how none of that works, but you know what? I love chocolate milk, and I'm not going to not drink chocolate milk because I don't know how it works. David, you know how electricity works. I have no idea, but I'm not going to sit in the dark just because I don't know how it works. I'm not sure about all the things of the Father. I don't know how he created this world. I, I, I don't know how he spoke into existence. I, I don't know what he does when he goes to work. I, I don't know how he scooped out the oceans and flung up the hills and threw the stars, the billions. I don't know how he did it, but it doesn't matter because he can be my Father. I can, know, I can know the Father. I can worship the person of the Father, and I can thank him for his Son. And what he done for me. It's the place that he talks about the place and in the, per, the person, he also talks about the purpose of worship, I believe here. He, he declares to be the Messiah. And you think as the Messiah is he come to deliver us from what? From Satan, from hell, sin, death, and the grave. You think about what he conquered, but you think about what he had to do in, in this text thinking about being thirsty in water, you think about what Jesus said on the cross. He said, I am thirsty. I am thirsty. That wasn't physical thirst that he, he was talking about. He had been cut off from the Father. He said on the cross, why, God, have you forsaken me? I mean, he had been cut off from the Holy Spirit, from the Father. He had been totally cut off. And you think about it. He was rejected so that we could be accepted. He became thirsty so me and you could become satisfied. The Bible says in Corinthians that uh, he who was rich became poor, that through his poverty we could become rich. And the Bible says he who knew no sin becomes sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. He did that for us. He took. The Bible says in Isaiah 53 that the punishment that was upon him Is that which brought us peace? And that is the purpose of worship, the place, and the person. Here's what I've said tonight. I hope you get this. God's seeking purpose is for all people to be satisfied through worshiping Him. That is enjoying Him. That is getting to know Him. And how do we do that? In spirit and in truth. Truth, you got to know the Father. You got to know the person and the truth of this word. And that is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Real quick, I got just a couple minutes left in verse 14. Uh, This text grabbed me this week. Uh, He says that whoever drinks of the water I shall give, he will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up in everlasting life. Here's what I asked myself this week as I was studying the text. Being a Christian, being a born-again believer, having believed to have drunk from the well of Jesus, there are times in my life when I still thirst. There are times when I go to other wells to drink from. And they always leave me high and dry. So I ask myself, Am I? Did I not, Am I not truly a Christian? Because I go and I try to get satisfied in other places. Is there something wrong? Did I? Am I not in the faith? But keep reading the text. It's not that this water just thirsts your quench and you're satisfied for once and you don't need it anymore. No, it, we, became, we continue to be thirsty as people, as in the flesh. And, but why can we continue to be satisfied? Because this water is inside of us and it is now a fountain, the text says, of living water. And here's the thing that happens in our lives. We dam up that flow of water. There are things that comes in the Christian life that stops the flow of that water. Tonight I've talked about the, pur- the amazing purpose of God. That He has a seeking purpose for all people. That they should worship Him in spirit and truth and be satisfied. And, and I know you, all of you amen that in here. But here's my question. Do you feel a part of that? Do you feel... Can, can, can you amen it in your heart and say, I'm a part of that. Like, I, I, I believe it and I'm seeing it in my life. I'm seeing God do that in my life. Or do you have to be honest tonight and say, I... Be honest, Pastor Chris, I, I believe what you said, but it's not a reality in my life. I don't see God using me to seek people, to bring them to Himself to worship Him, and to be satisfied. Just be honest, Chris, that's not my life. Could it be, maybe one, maybe you've never been to the well, or could it be, number two, you, you have been to the well and you are a born-again Christian, but something's come in and damned up your life. Let me just ask you this, could it be unconfessed sin? You know, she was trying to hide from Jesus about having five husbands. She was trying to keep it secret. It's amazing what we try to hide from God, even though we know that He knows. And it's not so much we try to hide it, I think we just try to make it's okay. Can I tell you one of the greatest um, beliefs in the church that I think the devil has put in? And it's this a little bit of sin's okay, just a little bit's okay. It's not. It's a slow fade, and what we we have an amazing ability as humans to justify our sins. We have an amazing ability to talk ourselves into it being okay, and even try to talk God into it being okay. What happens? That sin comes in our life, and it dams up the flow of God in our life, and, and uh, we just keep going because we've talked ourselves into that it's okay. Maybe God's identified something in your life. While I've been talking the last couple minutes, that's dammed up that flow. Maybe tonight you'd get rid of it maybe tonight you'd say god you've been you've been poking at me at that for a long time i'm finally ready to confess it confess it means this to agree with what god says first john chapter 1 verse 9 says if we confess our sin he is just and faithful to forgive us of all unrighteousness he will if we confess. That means that we agree what God says about it. Well, he's been trying to tell you that it is sin. Can it be that you, you've got focus on, on flesh? The Bible says that the, the mind focused on the flesh is death, but the mind governed and influenced by the Spirit is life and peace. Could it be that you are? This woman couldn't get it. Hey, Jesus says, I've, I've got this water, everlasting water. It's a gift of God. If you get it, you'll never thirst again. You don't even have a bucket, man. She can't get it. She's focused on the physical, on the flesh. Is it that your goals in life have become temporary and not eternal? Can you really say with Paul for me to live as Christ, to die as gain? Maybe there was at one point, but now in your life there is not. I I, I don't know what God's doing in your life, but I'm going to ask Philip to come in this time of altar. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads in prayer. Um, I I hope that tonight as you've thought about John chapter 4 and you've thought about God's mission in your life, God's mission in this church, And I pray that you are a part of it. I pray God's doing great things in your life. But maybe he's not. And maybe I've named one of the reasons why God's not using you or the the fountain of God's not coming out in your life. Could it be that you don't feel worthy of it? I think this woman at some point in the conversation said, thought, Jesus, if you only knew what I've done, if you only knew the five men I've married, if you only knew that I'm living with my boyfriend now, if you only knew how dirty and nasty and guilty I am of sin. I want to tell you something. God loved her and used her in a great and mighty way. If you're willing to confess that sin to Him, listen, there's nobody in here that doesn't need God's grace. There's no one too good, they don't need it, and no one bad enough that His grace cannot cover your sins. Hey, church, I ask you tonight, if there's any unconfessed sin in your life, please confess it to Him. Please agree with Him. Whatever it is that maybe is holding you back in your life from being used by God, I pray that tonight you'd come to this altar and say God, you know me. You know you've pinpointed in my life what I what where I need what I need to give to you. Come and do it. Come be honest and come leave it here and ask God to change you. God, I ask in this time of altar as the music's played, I pray that people would get right with you. Maybe there's someone in us here tonight for a very long time we've had unconfessed sin. God, we've had areas in our life that have not wholly been yours. And God, we've we've quit seeing the power of God in our life. We've quit seeing you work and great. We've quit seeing you change people in our lives by the gospel. We've quit seeing people be satisfied. And Honestly, God, we're not satisfied in you because of the wells that we've been drinking from that are not of you. So God, do a great work we ask in Jesus' name.